I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. We're studying Proverbs. So there is a workbook available. Uh, I don't know if... um, if Darren's going to print some of those, or I, I can print some, but I know some folks maybe Sunday would like to have a copy. We'll let us know, and we'll make sure we have some available. But you can look at it on your computer or print it at home or whatever as well. It's kind of long. It's like 55, 50 pages or something like that. <clears throat> but since nobody has a book yet, since we're just starting um, – uh, I'm not expecting you to have it yet, and we're not going to necessarily get into the questions tonight. But uh, one of the things about this this book is it looks at Proverbs topically, which is actually a very helpful thing to do because um, the bulk of the book uh, is kind of these random uh, short sayings. And uh, as you just go through chapter by chapter and read each verse, you kind of bounce back and forth between different topics. And so uh, by all means, I would not discourage you. I would, I would encourage you to read the book and to study that, but uh, that's not how we're going to do this class verse by verse. Uh, so looking at those topically is useful uh, to try to get the, the grand scheme of the sense of the book and the lessons from the book. But, but, but since uh, the lesson book takes that approach, I think there's some value in kind of getting a sense of the big picture of the book. And so to that end, uh, I prepared, I actually wrote a paper for the class I'm in that sort of fits the bill. So I'm going to kind of key off of that and I'll share a couple of screens I have an outline to show. Um, so just trying to get the big picture of the book tonight is, is the idea. Uh, if you have questions about what I'm saying and I don't make any sense, by all means, interrupt. But, but tonight's probably largely going to be me just kind of explaining some stuff. And then in subsequent classes, we'll, we'll have our typical uh, going through the, the questions in the book and all the good discussions. So so the book of Proverbs is is wisdom literature. Uh, we would label that along with, with uh, Job and Ecclesiastes. We recently studied Ecclesiastes. Um, I would say the theme of the book of Proverbs is found in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and, and I encourage you to have your Bibles handy. We're going to kind of skim through the book and cite some verses as we go. It'd be pretty much in order, so there won't be much jumping around. But in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this, the fear of the Lord is important to gain wisdom, and it's this dichotomy of being wise versus being foolish. That's pretty much the theme of the book. Of course, we want to be wise and not foolish. So Proverbs in the first section of the book has longer uh, discussions from the father to the son. Uh, The first nine chapters are that way. They're longer, more coherent discussions of the father lecturing to the son. But then, uh, of course, some of these get into smaller Proverbs through chapters uh, 10 and onward. And then toward the end, there's some other structures in the book. But one thing to think about these Proverbs is that they are statements of general principle. 
and and so uh, they're not necessarily unconditional. They're they're good advice for good life. Uh, so you'll you'll encounter certain things like in Pro and I'm kind of going to jump after I said we're not going to jump, but Proverbs chapter twenty six verses four and five, we'll see that one should both answer a fool according to his folly and should not answer a fool according to his folly. And, and you know, a cursory read, you say, well, those are contradictions. Well, the theme of Proverbs is wisdom and to know, to know when to apply these things. Um, you know, from the pop culture, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to walk away and when to run. Each of those things is appropriate at different times. And so sometimes it's appropriate to answer a fool according to his follies. Maybe that's the approach to take with a certain individual. And sometimes it's like, well, this is just a waste of time. I'm just going to make him upset. And so wisdom is the point of this book. And so uh, you have to uh, step back sometimes when some of these seem puzzling and know how to handle the text. So I mentioned Job and Ecclesiastes. So Job and Ecclesiastes sort of handle the uh, the exceptions to the rule sort of things. So Job, you know, had bad things happen to him and everyone's assumed, well, if bad things happen to you, it's because you did, you were evil, right? They kept accusing him throughout the book. And then that's sort of the tension in that book that in fact, he hadn't done anything wrong. Uh, Ecclesiastes, you know, he's, uh, he's upset and discouraged with things and everything's vanity. He's not really getting any satisfaction out of anything. So those are kind of the aberrations, the edge cases to wisdom. And I think Proverbs is sort of the middle case. It's just, here's the general rules of how to live. Here's how to live well. Here's stupid things to avoid. Don't do these things. And here's good things that you should, you should do in your life. That sort of thing. And some of what, um, you know, thinking about, I've mentioned Solomon already, but uh, the very first verse, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of the son of David. You know, we see that David or that uh, Solomon is considered the author of this book, and I think we should understand that to be true. But kind of like Psalms, you know, if I were to answer off the cuff, you know, if someone said, "Well, who wrote Psalms?" I'd probably say David, because a Psalm of David, you know, most of them seem to be. But there's all kind. There's a Psalm of Moses in there, and there's you know, there's different different authors in the collection in the Psalms, and similarly. In Proverbs, there are uh, different different sections that we can call out as well. The words of Agur and Lemuel, the words of the wise. Now, it's possible that some of those are pseudonyms for Solomon, and some take that view. Uh, that's fine. But uh, there are different names called out for authorship. And so we even have, uh, toward the end of the book, uh, where it mentions the the men of Hezekiah. So uh, in chapter 25, verse one, it mentions uh, these, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon. So the Proverbs of Solomon, but which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah copied. It says that in chapter 25 of this book. And so, so you know, Hezekiah lived two centuries after Solomon. So we see there's some work going on with this book. Uh, not just that Solomon wrote the whole thing out and everyone just copied that, that there was some work that was done by later faithful men. So thinking about some key, I might say characters or ideas in, in Proverbs. It's not a story, so it's not really characters, but it, it kind of is. So, so obviously there's good versus evil, right? There's wise versus foolishness. So on the good side, 
you know, we want to embrace the fear of the Lord as an idea, this idea of wisdom and a wise man would be, you know, on this good side, uh, maybe a, a good wife in various parts of the book, including the last chapter. Uh, and then, and then this personification of wisdom, which uh, a lot of times we'll call lady wisdom. And, and you'll see that as we study the book. So there's this, you know, wisdom and she does this and she says this sort of thing. Wisdom is, is sort of like a woman. And then on the bad side, we have, uh, you know, instead of the fear of the Lord, you know, we have denying God. There is no God. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. So instead of wisdom, we have foolishness. Instead of the wise man, we have the, the foolish man or the fool or the scoffer. These are some key words that we'll see. And then instead of this, this good wife, this good woman, the worthy woman, the excellent wife, all the different ways to describe her, we have the adulteress or the strange woman or the seductress. And then instead of lady wisdom, we have lady folly. And so she's sort of personified and she's saying things and she's calling out and appealing to people with words. And then there's sort of an in-between place. Uh, you might say, you know, a young person and undecided, they're developing, they're, they're growing up and they haven't quite figured out where they're headed in their life. And the word usually used for them is the simple. So I think when I've studied this before, I thought well, the simple was the fool. But I think that's a mistake. I think the simple, I think the simple are, are those who are growing up and maturing and figuring out what they're going to do with their life. And then they're at a crossroads. And so then they're appealed to by Lady Wisdom to do good things or Lady Folly or this adulteress to go off and do the wrong things. So it's, it's black and white and, and a little gray too. There's this, the simple. So I want to show you uh, an outline I put together. There's tons of ways to look at this. Um, so if I were to break the book down in broad sections, you know, the first, the first nine chapters encompass these, these speeches of the father to the son or to the sons various times it said. Uh, and, and they mention the mother in there that these is the advice and don't don't dishonor your mother. But it seems to be that the father is addressing the son. And then as you get to chapter 10 through chapter 29, it's where it kind of breaks from these long lectures into these short, pithy statements. Maybe maybe one verse is its own thing. Maybe two or three verses go together. Uh, sometimes there's a little section with a topic that seems to run through, but for the most part, it just kind of, it's kind of all over the place with recurring themes, but, but it's just not, uh, it's not the way I would organize it. Cause you know, I think a certain way, but it's the way it is, but it's the way we, the way we have it presented to us. And in that section of uh, 10 through 29, where it's organized that way, we have it called out again, that these are of Solomon for chapters 10 through uh, part of 22. And then in the middle of 22, it, it talks about the words of the wise. And again, maybe that's just a reference to Solomon, but some think that, you know, he, he brought these in from, from other sources and then adapted them for, for faithfulness with God. 
And then chapter 25 is where we have that statement that I referred to earlier about, about that these are of Solomon, but copied by Hezekiah's men. So we have other hands involved at that point. And then we get to chapter 30 toward the end of this book. We have the entirety of chapter 30 is the words of Agur. And, and so that seems to be, uh, it seems to be a, a Gentile person. Some people think it's just a reference to Solomon. So there's difference of different views on that. And he talks about, I believe that's he talks about his mother's advice there. I might have this switched with Lemuel, but uh, and then Lemuel in the first half of chapter 31, he he talks and he's a king. And and so he has some statements there. And then at the end, I think it's very well known, uh, the worthy woman or the ideal woman or the excellent woman or wife is uh, quite a celebrated section of the book there. Uh, at the end of chapter 31. So that's how I try to simplify the outline into those sort of uh, sections there. So this is ancient literature and it's not the way we write stuff. As I kind of pointed out with the random nature of some of these proverbs being organized in the way that they are. But there's also figures of speech that that are kind of weird to us. Now, of course, it was written in Hebrew, but it's translated, but yet these figures of speech come through. Some, some of them come through and some of them don't. But the one that we can see is parallelism. So it'll say one line and then it'll say a second line, something similar or something contrasting. So one example would be Proverbs 12, 28. And this is labeled in a fancy way as synonymous parallelism. So it's kind of saying the same thing twice or something similar twice. So Proverbs 12, 28, in the way of righteousness is life. And in the pathway, there is no death. So you could say, well, in the way and in the pathway, it's kind of saying the same thing. And is life versus no death, you know, you're just the opposite, you know, it's saying the same thing. In the way of the righteous is life, and in the pathway there is no death. So it's amplifying the statement by saying it twice. And that sort of thing you'll see a lot. Uh, and, and these things apply a lot to pro uh, Psalms as well as Proverbs. So another example that uses a different structure of this parallelism is called antithetic parallelism. So the, these things are sort of in con uh, contrast to one another. So uh, Proverbs 10 verse 12 is an example. So Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. So we see this hatred causing all this trouble, but love making things better. So it's this contrast, this, this uh, against each other idea. And then another example is from Proverbs 4.23, where uh, this is called synthetic parallelism. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And so those just really build on each other. Keep your heart with all diligence. And, and upon doing that, you're going to have good things. The springs will spring the issues of life. So those are things we can see. We can see how well, it looks like they said the same thing twice, or it looks like they said something and then they said the opposite to make a point. We can see that. Uh, but some things like uh, Proverbs 31 is not obvious to us as English readers that it's in the form of an acrostic. So 
each letter of each line starts with a different Hebrew letter in the alphabet. So we might, you know, as little kids, you know, A is for apple, B is for ball, and have a little song that goes through, you know, each letter of the alphabet, and that's kind of cute. Well, that's something they would do in their in their poetry, and and that happens in in Proverbs thirty one, but it's kind of invisible to us because it's all translated to English words, and they don't have the letters, and we can't tell what's going on. But another one that we can see is called uh, numerical. Uh, numerical figure of speech. <laughs> so an example uh, of that, I didn't get the reference on this one. I think it's later uh, toward the end in, uh, uh, well, this one's early. Anyway, I'll just read it here. I don't have the reference. I'm sorry. Uh, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven things that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, lying tongue, and he goes on to enumerate the things. But what I'm trying to draw attention to is this structure of there are this number of things. Yes, there are even this number plus one of things. Okay, they'll do that. They'll do that a lot. There are, seven, there are six of these. Yes, there are seven to kind of amplify, make the point that th these things are important. And then you pay attention to the list that, that comes. So, okay. Now I've said, <laughs> I've said we're uh, going to go in order. And I have been jumping around, but uh, if we look at, at chapter one now, uh, chapter one, you know, we're going to get into these, these uh, lectures from the parents, right? So as we said, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's, that's I think, if you, if you underline in your Bible, you might underline that one. That's the theme of the book, I would say. And then verses 8 through 19 uh, portray the father warning his son against caughting up, get, getting caught up in the wrong crowd. This idea maybe like a gang, getting in a gang and, you know, this, these guys are saying, hey, come with us and uh, we'll give you part of the money and it'll be great. You know, of course, uh, this, as the, the story and the lesson goes, they're, they're in hunt for their own lives, as it turns out, because this is going to lead to their death. And so that's the advice for the young man. Don't get caught up in that. Uh, verses 20 through 33, the end of this chapter, we're introduced to this female personification of wisdom that we've already talked about, uh, Lady Wisdom. And she, you can almost think of her like a street preacher. She's out there calling out, you know, appealing to, the, to these young, simple people to come and avoid all this calamity. Come and listen to my advice and do these things and don't get in trouble. And then, you know, chapters two through, through nine kind of repeat this sort of pattern where this, the, the, the father's addressing the son. The father tells the son that if he follows his wise instructions, then you will, uh, verse five, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so the, the first section there lists the positive blessings, verses one through 10, and then 11 through 22, there's the pitfalls to avoid. In that, and of course, this is where there's a mention of the adulterous woman, and I, I would uh, encourage you to think in your mind. Obviously, that's something for a young man to avoid, really, truly. But I think in the the way the book is structured, we're also to kind of think of that as Lady Folly versus Lady Wisdom. So there's this dichotomy between uh, Lady Wisdom, follow her, 
and Lady Folly avoid her. And so part of what she's uh, personified as is being this seductress uh, leading to adulterous relationships and all kinds of trouble. Again, not to say that that's not a real danger and that that's not part of the lesson. You know, you think about in the New Testament, a lot of the lessons about, um, uh, about marriage and then it's really about Christ and the church, right? And so those lessons have fruitful meaning for us about marriage, but they also have important meaning for us to think about the relationship of, of Christ to the church. And I think that's a sort of a similar deal here. Chapter three, again, we're addressing in verse one to my son. Uh, the son is instructed not to forget these instructions and to expect blessings in return and listed in verses one through 12, all these blessings. Um, it's just an emphasis on honoring God, uh, verse, verses five through seven. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes for uh, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So verses 13 on, we, we come back to Lady Wisdom. Uh, and it's the father's talking about this idea of wisdom. And it's almost as if he's trying to talk his son into marrying Lady Wisdom in a sense, perhaps. <laughs> That's how it kind of feels when I read it. Uh, the great benefits, you know, he talks about the great benefits that she can provide. Uh, almost like talking, her, talking him into why that she would be a good wife in a way. Uh, verse 17, her, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Uh, verses 19 through 26 talk about uh, wisdom in creation. So that the way that God uh, used wisdom in creation uh, to preserve the life of the one and, and make decisions with wisdom and using discretion. And then the rest of, the, of that chapter talks about dealing with other people being kind to our neighbor and, and that sort of thing. And then chapter four, again, comes with this uh, parental advice to the children. Uh, the, and the father talks about his own childhood in, uh, in verses four through nine. And these uh, instructions are again to characterize wisdom as a woman. He says, do not forsake her in verse six. Verse six do not forsake her and she will keep you, love you, and she will guard you. Okay. Verses 18 through 19, but the, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And again, uh, chapter five, another address to the sun. Uh, this chapter focuses on warning against being seduced by an adulterous woman. This, this theme recurs. Uh, and again, I would, I would say, think about that a little more broadly as well. Uh, verses, uh, chapter five, verses 15 through 20, I, I think are, are probably ones we've heard. Uh, he says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with the forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? 
And of course, many have fallen into that, that sort of trap. So it's timely advice for, for anyone to consider and follow. Chapter six, again, addressing the sun. This time the address is followed by a, an admonition to be wise with money. Uh, the sun is warned about being a co-signer on a loan. Um, and, and for someone else, it could lead to financial ruin. I think it was a little bit different structure in that time than maybe what we would think about today of, with debtor's prison kind of things that these could lead to. Um, <clears throat> so more advice about money and diligence uh, the difficulties of poverty through verse 11. And then verses uh, 12 through 19 talk about uh, being honest and treating, treating people well, this sort of thing. And then in chapter 20, through the end of that chapter, we have the dangers of adultery. Uh, and building on the previous verses, uh, talking about money, he seems to be appealing to the son. You know, not only is it just a horrible idea and you're going to get all sorts of trouble, but uh, you also, the husband of the, of the wife that you're ruining their marriage, uh, he's going to come after you and, and he's, you're, you're not going to have enough money to pay him off is part of the appeal that he makes here. So it sort of ties back to this money discussion before. Chapter seven, more, more um, admonitions to avoid this adultery problem. And again, we see this contrast of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Uh, in avoiding the adulteress, the son is admonished to say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to call, and to call insight your intimate friend, to keep you uh, from the forbidden woman and the adulteress with her smooth words. That's verses 4 through 5. And then verses 6 through 23, the father uh, tells the son a tale of a man being seduced by an adulterous woman, how all that goes into quite a bit of detail about what she says and how it's going to be so great. And, and it, it all leads to his death. So don't do it is, is the appeal here. Follow, follow the advice of the father. And chapter eight, uh, it focuses on lady wisdom again. And, and here lady wisdom makes a, a full throated appeal to the simple. And again, we talked about this idea of the simple, right? The young man who has not decided what they're going to do with their life. Follow Lady Wisdom is the appeal. Lady Wisdom uh, tells us about, in a sense, if you get kind of creative here, her companions, prudence and knowledge and discretion. We might kind of think of them as personified. She mentions them. And she points out that kings and rulers use her to govern well. Verses 22 through 31 of chapter 8 uh, give us details about how the ultimate ruler, the Lord himself, used her, used wisdom, in creating the world. Verses 32 through 36, again, are an appeal, a direct appeal from Lady Wisdom to the sons to listen to her and follow her ways. Verse 34, she says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, to wisdom, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So make your choice, right? Okay, and then chapter nine, this is the last of these sort of lecture parts before it gets into the random little short proverbs. 
chapter nine is sort of the culmination of the earlier comparisons of wisdom and folly, lady wisdom and lady folly, and that's sort of a contest in chapter nine. There's a direct contrast to these two ladies here in this chapter. Verses one through 12 of chapter nine uh, portray lady wisdom as having built a house and, and she's prepared a wonderful banquet to which she invited the simple to come and benefit from. And she says in verse four, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. So this this invitation, come be wise. Verses 13 through 18 show Lady Folly now in contrast. She's a blustering fool issuing in a seductive invitation, which which uh, sounds sensual and perhaps pleasant, but in fact leads to death. Verses uh, 16 through 18, she says, this is her appeal. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol or the grave, the pit where dead bodies are buried. He's getting into trouble to follow this. Uh, these speeches are uh, from the parents to the children that we've been reading. This portrays Lady Wisdom contrasted with Lady Folly, and that sets the stage for these Proverbs to come, okay? So, so all these nine series of lectures that we just sort of summarized that, that sets the stage for the son to think about this fork in the road in life. You can, you can have good things by being wise and following Lady Folly, or you can follow Lady Wisdom and it sounds good, but it's going to end in trouble and death for you. So I think that's the context in which the, the short pithy proverbs that follow that maybe are a little more familiar to us are then given so that we have this these, this, these lens on, we're looking through this. Well, are we going to be wise and have good things or are we going to be the fool and it feels like it's good things, but it's going to lead to death. So I think that's the lens through which we look with the rest of these. Now I'm going to jump to the workbook now uh, to show the table of contents because I think it's sort of illustrative of the sort of things that we have there. So this is just a, a, a page. This is the table of contents from the workbook. And I think the, the way that they've laid these out do a pretty good job of characterizing uh, if we were to go on here through uh, chapters 10 through 29 and just talk about the kinds of things that are in there. So we just look at, let's just read through these, what these are. So of course the introduction uh, and the idea of wisdom we've talked about. Um, the folly of fools, so the, the foolishness of fools, we might say. And then several chapters here, uh, the idea of the human heart, and then various aspects of our heart, pride and anger or wrath, uh, the broken spirit being discouraged, uh, hatred, self-control, and, and how we should have self-control and use it. Uh, things about the nature of God, uh, adultery, we certainly already touched on that in the first nine chapters. Drinking, drunkenness, alcohol abuse, uh, the tongue, you know, what we say, 
poverty and wealth. And that kind of goes along with industry and laziness. Industry sounds like manufacturing or something, but are you, are you busy doing a job or are you lazy sitting around like a bum is kind of the question there. And that certainly leads to poverty and wealth. Business kind of goes along with that as well, but there's, you know, there's certain proverbs that talk about transactions and being honest and that sort of thing. A good name, we might say a good reputation, right? Friendships, how we deal with our friends. Are we a good friend or are we, you know, a jerk to people? <laughs> are we kind? Are we helpful? Are we generous or are we greedy? Uh, things about home life, and certainly that dovetails with husbands and wives, but, you know, dealing with children and all that sort of thing. And then the worthy woman, that'd be a, a reference to that second part of Proverbs chapter 31. But that's also a theme elsewhere in the book as well, recurring uh, statements about that. The nation, you know, how we deal with government and, and that sort of thing. You know, some of these Proverbs were, uh, seem to be written in the context of people in the court. So not like, not like the court where we're having a judge, that sort of thing in, in our culture, but, but the king's court and how to handle yourself in those situations to honor the king and, and to behave appropriately. And so, of course, that's the culture they're coming from. Numerical riddles, as I've alluded to that, you know, six of these, yes, seven, that sort of thing. Um, the words of the wise, so uh, breaking down perhaps that, that different section there. And then a greater than Solomon. So uh, if you haven't looked at the book, does anyone have a guess just by that title, what that might be a reference to? I'll give you a chance to unmute. <laughs> I've been blabbing on a long time here. It would be Jesus. Question. Yes, a greater than Solomon is here, or one greater than Solomon. Yeah, so that last, that last lesson ties the wisdom that we read about here to the wisdom that Jesus uses and, and his connection to all of that. Very good. He gets a star. <laughs> okay. So uh, I had, in, in the paper I had written, some similar uh, themes, authority, bribes, diligence, drunkenness, children, controlling your temper, fighting, gossip, health, honesty, humility, listening to advice, messengers. There's actually a lot of things about messengers. Um, money, neighbors, parents, planning, and you may have noticed I've alphabetized these <laughs> as we're going through. <laughs> Righteous versus the wicked, which is really a theme of the book. Uh, shame, uh, worship and prayer, that sort of thing. So those are the, those are the themes I, I drew out uh, when I wrote this paper. So a lot of the same concepts we just read in our table of contents as well. So as we get to chapter 30, so if you're following along in your Bible, we're in chapter 30 now. Um, the words of Agur, uh, the son of Jake, Jake, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Jake. We'll go with that. So like the Proverbs of Solomon, the words of Agur contain diverse Proverbs. So sort of debatable whether I would break it up as a separate section, but since it seems to be calling out a different author or at least a different name for the author, I kind of broke it out separately here. Um, so the identity of this person is, is uncertain. Some think it might just be a reference to Solomon. I tend to think that it's someone else, but we can all have opinions on that, I guess. Um, 
I kind of think it's a, a foreigner is the idea. So Ecclesiastes uh, is also associated with Solomon. And we read that and studied through that together recently. But there in uh, chapter 12, verse 9, it talks about that Solomon was engaged in weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. And I guess you could take that different ways, uh, that he was writing them completely from scratch and from inspiration and, and that sort of thing. Or it could be that he was considering all of the, the things that were out there. Um, so there'd be different opinions on that. Um, I, I guess I would say just as one plus one always equals two, regardless of who says it, uh, and the heavens declare the glory of God, regardless of who's looking at the stars, um, these timeless truths established by God and contain these proverbs are true, regardless of who was who first uttered them or wrote them. Uh, but they're recorded for us here because they're true and right and helpful, and that God wants us to consider these and follow them. You know, you think about even in Daniel chapter four, we just studied that book. Uh, it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar, the, the Gentile king of Babylon, right? In, in, in chapter four, verse 34, he was praising and blessing the most high, you know, and we have that recorded for us. And that's a, a good thing for us to read and study as we did. So we shouldn't be surprised at the idea that there might be other Gentiles uh, honoring God in the Old Testament. And of course, it's kind of a little bit of a, a precursor of the fact that all nations will be blessed through, through this, right? And we're part of that. So anyway, take that as you want. So Agur here, he honors God and recognizes his wisdom and the work in creating and sustaining the earth, verses one through four. In verses five through nine, he extols the truth of God's word. In verse five, he says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Verses 10 through 17, he warns against harming others with our words. In verses 18 through 20, he discusses the relations between a man and a woman. Verses 21 through 33, he considers the relationships of of people of different social statuses, which is maybe a little, little different in our culture, but you know, maybe a super rich guy and a super poor guy, we could see that as a different status, right? So in verse, th verse 21, he says, under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. Did you catch the number? <laughs> under, under three, under four, right? Under the three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A slave when he becomes king and a fool when he is filled with food, an unloved woman when she gets a husband and a maidservant when she displaces her mistress. So that's a good one to study sometime. <laughs> but we're just doing a whirlwind tour here. Chapter 31. Okay, we're getting close to the worthy woman, but we're not there. Because the first part of chapter 31 is the words of King Lemuel. So uh, if I was going to have someone try to rattle off all the kings of Israel and Judah, I would ask D. <laughs> and hopefully she would do pretty well with that, but she would never say Lemuel because that's not one of them, right? This is someone else. And again, I would think this is, this is uh, perhaps uh, another Gentile king that we're bringing in to, to share these things. But, but again, some take the view that oh, this is just a, a, a pen name or something for Solomon. So take that as, as you want. 
Um, this section actually contains the wise instructions of King Lemuel's mother. And I got that a little turned around earlier when I was talking about it. This is the part where his mother, and it's kind of interesting where in the first half of the book or the first part of the book, we had the father talking to the son. And then here towards the end, we have the mother told the son stuff that now this king is telling. <laughs> so we kind of have the words of the mother here. Okay, so she, she counsels him to be wise in his relations with women and to avoid strong drink, alcohol, and to defend the poor who need his kingly protection. Of course, he's a, a king, is a man of high status and has responsibilities. Verse nine, verse nine of, of chapter 31, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Now, verses 10 through 31 of chapter 31, we, we continue this theme of the woman here. We had the mother, and now we have the worthy woman. And she's a, a, in this, these verses were extolling the ideal woman or wife. Now, strictly speaking, as we've said, that you know, the book of Proverbs is primarily constructed as, as wise instructions to sons, it seems, certainly in the first chapters. Um, but uh, these can be more broadly applied to sons and daughters. And certainly this is talking about women. So by all means, we want to take, take advantage of that. Uh, now, the way that's written, this passage is not per portrayed as being addressed to daughters. You read it the way it's written it's about women not really two women it's interesting um but nevertheless uh it's good stuff girls and women obviously are benefit from considering the ideal qualities described here but but also young men in looking for uh, a wife someday to consider these attributes as well so while it's practical, I think, for, for women to think about having these attributes, I think it also relates back to Lady Wisdom. You know, these, these attributes, I think, are to remind us, at least to remind us, if not outright be about, the Lady Wisdom personified. So here, this excellent wife or woman is, is trusted, trustworthy. She's industrious. She's shrewd and confident and strong. And she provides well for her own family and is generous to others. And because of the great person that she is, she's a, her, her husband is through that support, her husband is able to be a leader in the community thanks to this, this tremendous support that this wife provides. And her stellar reputation gives him credit as well. Uh, in verse 29 of this chapter, uh, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So just thinking about the book as a whole, you know, the book of Pro Proverbs is useful for providing practical guidance to conduct our lives. These truths are timeless, and we will do well to heed the advice contained in this book. 
The longer discourses can serve as models to teach our children or ourselves, taking that advice. And the short pithy proverbs should goad us and spur us into making wise decisions as we encounter various situations in life. Let these wise teachings enrich your life by studying and apply them. And then the, the last little quote that I'll have here to share is from chapter six, verses 20 through 22. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. A book of practical advice that we can all benefit from. And I will open it for questions or discussion now, because that's pretty much my presentation. Thoughts? Matt? Yes. Uh, based on what you've given us about the women, I would say that women in the Bible have come a long way from the origins of sin to being uh, virtuous and or some of the other adjectives that they use here. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Industrious, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, that's... Good worker and a good reputation. That's a Taking long care way. of her family. That's a long way from being the original sinner. Oh, so back to the Garden of Eden, right? Yes. Yeah. Right, we need to rise above it, right? <laughs> Each of us. Of course, Adam sinned too. We have all got that to deal with and, and to, to do better. Other thoughts? I just enjoy... Um, before I would go to work, I liked to read one proverb and carry it around with me in my head all day long and try to practice that. You know, it, it's just a cool way. I feel like some of sections of Paul's letters are like that too, like Colossians chapter three, there's lists of things, and Peter, there's lists of things, but um, I can't do them all at once. I, there's something <laughs> wrong with me. I can't do it all at once. And, and so I like to just carry that one gem around with me. It's a big book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a really good idea a few months ago. I had this idea that what if you had like, you know, a pack of playing cards and you could print like one little proverb on there and just have them, you know, handy. And then you could just pull out one and think about that and maybe the next day or, or whatever. And so, and so I went, <laughs> oh, visual aid. <laughs> so, so I, I thought, well, maybe somebody already did this. And sure enough, I, I found them on Amazon and they've got that. So I, I'm not an inventor. I had the idea, but somebody beat me to it years and years ago, I'm sure. So that's pretty cool. So we have this at our table. Uh, when we before we have our prayer for our dinner, we we pull one out and we just read, you know, Proverbs eighteen nineteen, and we read that. So it's like five bucks or something, but it's handy. 
There's nothing new under the sun, Matt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you missed that one. <laughs> We're never going to invent anything. Everyone's done everything. <laughs> oh, I just thought it for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love.